Hey, what's up, everybody, and welcome to Life Point Church. My name is Mike Burnett. I am so honored, along with my wife Stephanie, to serve as pastor of this church. And along with our whole team, we want to say a big welcome to you and thank you for joining us, no matter where you're watching from. In fact, today, many of us in the Clarksville area are watching from home because, once again, we've had a snowstorm over the weekend. I don't ever mind snow coming midweek at all. It's just on the weekend. It's my favorite time to be together with our people. But we know that it's, uh, always presents, it always presents challenges for us on the roads and in our community. So we have come to bring a, a, a video digital service to you this weekend because of the inclement weather. But I just want to say welcome and thank you for joining. Share the link to this video service right now with others and let them know, hey, join me in church this weekend and join me at lifepointchurch.tv or on Facebook or on YouTube or on any of our other streaming platforms, Instagram, etc. Hey, I do want to give a special shout out to all of our church family at the East Valley Dream Center in Chandler, Arizona. We love you guys and we're so thankful for what God is doing in that location and what God is doing th throughout the week with you guys. Join a small group, serve, be a part of what God is doing and thank you to Danny and Giovanni, the leaders there and the team that runs that amazing place. We are so honored to get to do this together. Hey, as you know, we are in a season of 21 days of fasting and prayer and hopefully every one of you have a copy of our Pray First prayer guide and one of our wristbands to remind us to pray first, then listen to what the Lord says and then move. This is a great guide for teaching us how to pray, different types of prayers, the Lord's Prayer, tabernacle prayers, etc. And then also included are two different Bible reading plans. And I got to tell you, these are great plans. One of them is to read the entire New Testament in three months. And then this one we came up with this year, I just think it's really important. Many times uh, we, get, we get into the Bible reading plans that keep us in certain sections of the Bible for a long time. But I think it's very important for Christians to stay close to the teachings and writings of the Gospels and the stories about Jesus Christ. So we came up with a uh, three and three, Gospels in three and three. And what it is, is we want you to go through all four Gospels once a month for three months. And so in January, for example, you go through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in four weeks. February, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, March, the same thing. So by the end of one quarter of the year, you will have spent three months in the Gospels, getting to know Jesus, the heart of Jesus, the way of Jesus again. And so I think this is really important for you, the, the Bible reading plan, the Pray First Guide, all of that is available to you online. And again, as a church, we have been so thankful for our partnership with Convoy of Hope. And you just got to see the video of the power of clean drinking water. And we have for years partnered with them in our 21 days of fasting. We've called it now 21 days of fasting for hope. And uh, we are partnering with Convoy to provide clean drinking through water filters, but also now water irrigation systems and water wells. And my, my, my request to us as a church, would everyone who's listening to this message, everyone participate, whatever it is you're fasting, Hold on to the money that you would have spent on that thing that you're fasting, your coffee, your food, your drinks, whatever. And then at the end of this month, we're going to have big offering times where we can give everything that we saved by fasting, give to provide clean drinking water. One Sawyer filter is $25. And so I think everybody in our church can do that. So can you imagine if multiple thousands of people provided one uh, saw your water filter at $25 a piece. But many of you can do many things beyond that. And so I want to ask you to really push in, really lean in, not only in this time of fasting, but at the end of the month in our time of giving. This is above and beyond our regular tithes. This is an offering, and this is something that we're going to give beyond our regular tithing of our, you know, our 10% to the local church. But we're going to give an offering to help provide clean drinking water to families 
and, uh, and children, especially around the world, those in our partnership with Convoy of Hope that we're doing in our feeding programs, families all over the world. And then as natural disasters and tragedy strikes, one of the obvious needs that always comes up is clean drinking water, and, and your giving will make a difference there as well. So we're a church that believes in tithing, in being generous, and also in giving offerings. And every January during our time of fasting and prayer, we partner that to, to give this great offering. So thank you so much for your generosity there. Thank you for just obeying God and doing what he says. By the way, I hope you're enjoying your fast. We're on day 16, if you can believe that. And so we're in the final week. And this coming Friday, uh, January 21st, we are having a night of worship at our Rossview Road campus. I want to invite everyone in the area to come. Of course, we'll be live streamed. If those of you at East Valley Dream Center want to stream our night of worship, uh, it would be a great night for all of you to come. We're going to have directed prayer, extended times of prayer and worship as well. It is a great way to finish off our 21 days of fasting. All right, since you brought your Bibles or have your Bibles in your lap or on your coffee table or wherever you're watching, uh, I want to ask you to turn with me to Exodus chapter 3, Exodus chapter 3. We are in a five-week January series called uh, Fresh Start, where we're looking to have a fresh start with God, with his church, with the word of God, with obedience to the Lord. And so today I'm asking you the question, what is in your heart? We're going to be looking at Exodus chapters, actually three and four. While you're turning there, I want you to think about a time in your life when you were asked to do something way outside of your comfort zone. Have you ever been asked or given a directive from somebody, maybe a boss or a commander or a parent, to do something that you've never done before? Has God ever pushed you or asked you to do something you've never done in your life? It could be fun. It could be hard. It could be adventurous, whatever. I've got friends that have skydived. I am not ever interested in something like that. I love the solid ground that I walk on. Come on, like why jump out of a perfectly good plane? You know what I'm saying? Well, in this Fresh Start series... Uh, so far, we've talked about how to cast off the spirit of heaviness by putting on the garment of praise. And we do that by reaching up to God in a life of praise and worship and all in devotion to God. And also reaching our hands out to others. Remembering that our life can be a blessing to somebody. And part of how we cast off heaviness is we live a life of praise by serving other people as well. Last week, we talked about having a fresh start with spiritual disciplines or spiritual habits that we uh, employ in order to curate devotion and closeness to the Lord. So I've been challenging us, what if this is a year that we would have some do-overs and some fresh start with the Lord? I've actually been thinking about that in another way. What if this is a year, like consider all of the years that you've walked with the Lord, all of your experience with Christianity and with God, and what if God would say, okay, everything that you've done up to this point, we're just going to put a period at the end of that part of your story. We're not going to erase, delete, go back and try to change anything. We're just going to put a period at the end of your journey with God so far. And then 2022 is a new page, a new chapter. And what if this is a time for a fresh start with God where he says, you know what, I wanna write some new things in your life. I wanna write some new activities, some new adventure, some new devotions, some new ways of thinking and living that are centered on Christ. What if we have this new chapter with the Lord? We all have our routines and our rhythms, but what would it look like if this January series became the opportunity to have a new season with God and the Lord himself is helping write it. You know, I've, I've said for years, you know, God, we all say, because the Bible says it, right, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. One of our theological doctrines that we believe is God is immutable, he's unchangeable, he's unmovable. But one of the things I love to know is that the God who never changes is always doing something new, specifically something new with us. And that's really what this Fresh Start series has been about. 
So does God have the right this year to ask you to do something maybe you've never done before? Or maybe does God have the right to ask you to do something that you've stopped doing for a while? Part of this series is about re-engagement to the Lord and re-engagement to disciplines or starting fresh in our devotion to the church, to the body of Christ, to the disciplines of Christianity. I'll never forget when I was starting out of ministry, I was 21 years old. I had been a Christian for about three and a half, four years, and I was working on a classical music degree. If you don't know this, I studied music at the University of Tennessee, which is where I met my wife, and we both were classical musicians. I was in voice, and she was a piano player. And we were attending church together uh, for about a year, which, by the way, uh, shout out, this summer she and I will have our 20th wedding anniversary. I'm pretty excited about that. So uh, that's one of the things that we built as a foundation of our relationship. We went to church together. We sat together, took notes together, et cetera. Well, we were going to this church together, and my pastor offers me this part-time job my senior year to be uh, the choir director, one of the music team. And about six months later, he approaches me as I'm about to graduate from college with my music degree and I was looking to go to graduate school. He approached me and he said, hey, how would you like to become our youth pastor when you graduate from college? And I'll be honest, I was completely caught off guard. I was not expecting that. My plans were different. I was anticipating continuing in music as a grad student. I was getting married that summer. I wanted to be a professional opera singer. My pastor said he believed that he saw the call of God for pastoral ministry in my life and that I would be a, a pastor of a great church someday. I didn't believe it. I didn't see it. I didn't know that. I hadn't planned on it. I hadn't prepared for it. In fact, I didn't grow up in a ministry family and I wasn't trained to be a pastor. I didn't know enough Bible. I was certain he was not discerning this correctly. So I had my reasons not to believe or follow what he was asking me to do and to not believe that God was asking me to do this as well. In fact, I had excuses. I had thoughts of being underprepared, underqualified. And then there's this big secret, I'm a sinner. Like how am I gonna be a pastor when I've got secrets and I've got issues in my own life? And, and how many of you are thankful that God chooses to empower broken people with his Holy Spirit and he's not waiting us on us to get our lives perfect before he can use us. Can I hear an amen, everybody? So then 20 years later, I get to now serve as your pastor, as local church pastor. And I give a lot of credit to my pastor, Barry Culberson, for calling that out in me and seeing God's design in my life. But listen, it's not what I planned. It's not what I prepared for. It's not even what I felt qualified to do. But I want to ask you, like, if if God decides, like, I see something in you and I want something from you this year, and I'm going to ask you to step into another career field, step into another part of a divine flow with God. If God says, I want you to serve in a new team, give bigger dollars than you've ever given before, build your prayer life. If God says, I want to do something with you this year that I've never done before, are you open to let him do it? What, what has God designed and destined for you? What dream or plan or new idea or ministry is God stirring in your heart or in your spirit that you just can't seem to stop thinking about? How does God want you to serve or give or minister to people this year? Some of us have used this expression. If God wants me to do that, I'm going to need a burning bush experience from God. As if we need God to show up in some extra miraculous way to prove his power and to prove his will and his call for us to do something unusual. Now, if you're not familiar with that terminology, that phrase comes from a story in your Bible in Exodus chapter 3. It's a story where Moses, the great Moses, is tending his sheep, and one of the sheep wanders off. And as he pursues that sheep up a hill and kind of on a mountaintop, he has an encounter with God's presence, a literal physical bush 
is completely engulfed in flames, but not on fire. It's the craziest thing, right? The flame is what God used to get Moses' attention and to speak to him. And this flame didn't actually burn the bush. Now, that's where we get that expression. I need God to show up with a burning bush. So what would you do if God showed up in a miraculous burning bush? What would you say if God called you to do something you've never done before, contrary to the life you're living, or to move to a place you've never gone, or to give in a way you've never given, or witness to a neighbor you've never talked to? Would a burning bush be enough to change the course of your whole life? Most of us probably think that if God showed up in a burning bush, we'd have revival and we'd change forever. But that's not really what happened with Moses. And I'm convinced, because I've been working with church folks for a long time, I don't think that that would happen with us either. God showed up miraculously, but it didn't have the effect on Moses that you might imagine. So I want to look at this together. I want us to read Exodus chapter 3, and I want to set up the story for you, and then I want to talk through when God wants to do something in you this year, how do we, inter- how do we interact with the Lord in this way? Exodus chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Now, this is after Moses had left Egypt. He grew up in Egypt as a boy, and then he sees one of the Hebrew boys being beaten by a, a soldier, and he kills the soldier defending the, the Hebrew young man. And then he flees for his life. So now he's a fugitive like Harrison Ford, right? He's on the run and he's running from Egypt and he's a fugitive. So now, this is sometime later, estimated 40 years later, in fact. Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law. So he's a shepherd under under his father-in-law whose name is Jethro, who is the priest of Midian. We don't know what religion. We don't know what he is a priest to, what God or deity or divine whatever religion. And as he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness, he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to look at this great sight, why the bush is not burned. That's like the typical man response. Something's on fire, man goes, I'm going to look at that, right? So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see... God called out of the bush, Moses, Moses, and he says, here I am. Then the Lord said, do not come near this bush. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And then the Lord says, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Now, I want to give you that backstory and understand that backstory is important. It's something you need to realize. Moses was a Hebrew by DNA, but he grew up in Egypt and he fled because he murdered one of Pharaoh's soldiers and was most likely not a practicing Israelite, not a Hebrew. His father-in-law, Jethro, is called a priest, but it's not clear what God he served. Some sources suggest that he served a, a, a pantheistic view of God or many idols, And some thought he may have been a convert to Jehovah, but it's ultimately not clear. So we're 40 years after Moses had fled Egypt, and he's the son-in-law of a priest of some other religion. He's a shepherd over the sheep of his father-in-law's sheep, and he's married with kids, content in this life. He's probably like 80 years old at this point, by the way. He's physically removed from Egypt. He's emotionally detached. He's a believer in something, but as far as we know, we're not sure that it's God himself. And on the surface, he looks like the most unqualified person for God to set up a special meeting with to use someone for greatness. 
Have you ever really wondered, like, why would God use me? Why, why in the world would God, I'm not good enough, I'm not qualified enough, I'm not talented, I don't have these gifts. Moses was about the most unqualified person you could probably find that God chose to have a meeting with in a burning bush. He wasn't serving God. He wasn't close to God. He wasn't living in Jerusalem. Moses was not the guy that you would think the Lord would want to use. But I want you to understand something. The motivation for God to use Moses was not Moses. The motivation for God to use Moses was not Moses. What motivated God to use Moses is what God saw in his people. Go with me now. I want to look at this as we unpack this text. And I want to show you first the heart of God. Because the reason God would want to use you, the reason God would call you or like, like, like pull you into some dream team or into a small group or serving in kids ministry, the reason God would use you to give a certain way or pray more or do these things is not because of you. It's because God loves people that he's going to use you to be a blessing to. Watch this. So we've got the backstory, and then it says in verse 7, Then the Lord said to Moses, remember Moses is hiding his face, he was afraid to look at God. And the Lord says, I have surely seen the affliction of my people. Remember, all of the Israelites are in captivity in Egypt. They've been in bondage for hundreds of years as slaves to the Pharaoh in Egypt. And the Lord says, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. And I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings and I have come down to deliver them out of the hands of the Egyptians. Notice the active verbs of God. I've seen them, I've heard them, I know them, I've come down. And then he goes on to say, I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians. Then he says, and I've come down to bring them up out of the land, out of that land of Egypt to bring them to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Parasites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now behold, God says, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, God says, and I have seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. And now he says, look, come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Now, could it be that God himself could have just walked down into, onto earth, strolled the streets of Egypt, and just plucked Pharaoh out of there, knocked all the prison guards out, and just rescued his people? Of course he could have. We see the heart of God, that he hears them, he sees them, he knows what's happening, he's coming down, he's attentive to all of this. But notice what happens. God says, I see it, I hear it, I know it, I'm coming to send someone else. God's heart is to know the affliction of the people of this world and the people of our cities and the people of our community and the lostness and brokenness, brokenness and oppression. And God also says, and I want to use my people to be a part of this. Man, this whole scene between Moses and God is way less to do with Moses because he's nobody at this point. We, don't, we haven't heard from him in decades and he's not serving God. He's not close to God. He's not a hero. But this has way more to do with God's heart for people. Look again at that language. I have seen it. I have heard it, God says. I know I'm coming down. Can I just tell you that God's heart has never changed? Think of your city. Think of your neighborhood. Think of your family members who don't serve God. He still sees pain, suffering, affliction, the cries of people in bondage, the cries of people in East Valley, the cries of people who are in Clarksville and, and at Austin P. who are in captivity and bondage, those at Fort Campbell who are addicted and suffering, oppressed, who are abused and afflicted. God is still motivated 
by the heart of the people who are wounded and far from him. And so God motivates Moses because God loves people. And God is still motivated by the realities that people are far from God. God has all these active verbs. I've seen, I've heard, I know, and God decides to do something about it. He's not a silent God or an observant deity who does nothing about something. God gets to work. Listen, God knows the, the need of every person that comes to our church. God knows the need of every affliction in our cities, in our community, in the East Valley of Phoenix. God knows. And he says, I am so aware that I'm going to use somebody else. To, I'm going to empower them and equip them to make a difference. Let me tell you something. We serve a God who's attentive. He sees it. And he wants to do something about it. So he has a meeting with Moses. The unqualified, disconnected, stepson of Egypt. The guy who would seem the greatest misfit. But let me remind you again, God's call on Moses was more about God's heart for people. And that's true for you too. We get to serve God. We get to give generously. We get to provide water filters. We get to serve in kids' ministry. We get to lead small groups. We get to witness to our neighbors. We're not entitled to this life with God. We get to live this life at God's pleasure. How amazing that we used to need God's ministry, and now that we're saved, now he says that we get to serve in his ministry. You may be a doctor or a lawyer, a teacher, a biologist, a pastor, a police officer, an EMT, or a stay-at-home mom, or a soldier, we get to serve the God of heaven. No matter what we're doing in this world, we get to serve the God of heaven because he has a heart for people. Think about your neighbor who needs the Lord. Think about your coworker who's far from God. The Lord is so attentive to their need for salvation. And that's why he has you around them. Some of you have prayed your boss out because you're like, they're so, they're so far from God. They're such heathens. And I feel like God's going, no, I'm trying to pray you into their lives. <laughs> you, might, you might hate your neighbors or think your family member, you just wish they'd move out because you're so tired of dealing with them being far from God and they don't share your values. And I feel like the Lord's going, I wish you would move in to their lives and, and be a part of bringing them close to Jesus. And I love the heart of God for people. I love the heart of God for the poor and the afflicted, the hungry, the widow, the orphan, the drug addict, the person living in sexual bondage or an alternative lifestyle. As a culture, we're just trying to figure out ways of not offending anybody. But as, as, as the heart of God in heaven, he's trying to find ways to change people and to rescue people. So we hear the heart of God in this story, but now I want you to see the heart of Moses. And this is where many of us struggle. If God's going to be able to do something new with you in this year, if we're going to have a fresh start with his church, with the disciplines of Christianity, if we're going to have a fresh start with being a witness and be on fire for God and being on mission with God and giving like God calls us to do, we got to be motivated by the heart of God, but we're going to wrestle with the heart of us, right? And we're going to see that in the story as it continues on in the heart of Moses. An amazing encounter, a burning bush experience. Every one of us would love to have one of these moments in our lifetime. But I promise you, God showing up in a burning bush, as we're going to see from Moses' story, may not change you quickly enough. Look at how he responds. God says, I've seen their affliction, their cry, their needs, their oppression. And the Lord says, I'm going to send you. And then verse 11, we begin to see the excuses from Moses. Excuse number one, God, God hears from Moses. He says, basically, I'm not worthy. Watch what he says starting in verse 11. Moses says to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of, Egypt, of Israel out of Egypt? Who am I? I'm not the guy for that. That's not my job description. I didn't train for that. I didn't go to college for that. I don't know. Like I've been out of there for four decades. I've been gone for 40. Who am I? 
I'm not worthy to do that. I don't even know the landscape anymore. I don't know the terrain. I don't know, how to, I don't know what I'm doing there. And I, and I think it's interesting that as soon as Moses gave an excuse, I'm not worthy. Who am I? I'm nobody. God gives a response, but I'll be with you. <laughs> Isn't that great? I mean, honestly, as soon as Moses said, I'm nobody, God says, but I'm somebody. The Lord says, I will be with you. And this will be a sign for you that I've sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Remember where they're standing. They're on the mountain of Horeb. Go back to, to verse two, 1, right? They came to the wilderness on a mountain called Horeb, the mountain of God. And, and the Lord is telling Moses, he goes, you may not be somebody, but I'm somebody, and I'm going to be with you. And here's a sign that what I'm telling you is going to come to pass, that when you bring them out of Egypt, you're all going to come up on this mountain and worship me up here. Listen, this this was an honest first excuse to Moses. And, and I've got to tell you, as long as I've been working with church people, this is an honest first excuse of a lot of people. I'm nobody in God's kingdom. I didn't go to seminary. I'm not a pastor. I don't work at the church. What do I have to do a small group for? What in the world am I going to tell my neighbors about Jesus? I'm not trained for that. I've never done it before. And I love that as soon as Moses tried to disqualify himself, God qualified himself. He goes, no, 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 I'm going to be with you. you you're You're right. You're not the guy to save people. I save them, but I'm going to be the one with you to bring them to salvation, right? I love that immediately God's response to Moses came with promise. I'll be with you. And listen, some of us need a fresh start with serving God and a fresh start with being a discipler and a fresh start of leading small groups, a fresh start of being a giver. And many of you have already counted yourself out by going, I'm not worthy to do this. I'm nobody. God says, I'm somebody and I will be with you. So then Moses doubles down. He gives a second excuse, and he says, I don't know God well enough. And that's a very honest thing to say. He's like, I, I've been in the wilderness for 40 years. He's been away from the people of Israel. He was raised as an Egyptian. Now he's 40 years out in this wilderness with a, a priest of Midian. We don't know what priest he's, what, what religion he's a priest of. And he's like, I don't know God well enough. And I think many of us struggle with this excuse too. And, and you got to remember, they were obviously not close because when God speaks to Moses by the burning bush, he had to introduce himself. He had to say to Moses, hey, I'm God. I'm the God of your fathers. I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It was like a first-time introduction there, right? But look at verse 13. Moses says to God, okay, if I come to the people of Israel and I say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask, well, what's his name? <laughs> what am I supposed to say? That's a pretty funny question. I mean, this interchange to me is pretty funny. So God says to Moses, I am who I am. I mean, that's very like, <laughs> very confident statement, right? But he's the Lord. He can say this. He goes, I am who I am. And he says, he said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel. I am sent me to you. Now, this is so common for so many of us, right? Moses wasn't sure about the God that he was supposed to be representing. He, he didn't know what to call him. He didn't know what to say about him. And he says to him, he says to God, he goes, if I go trying to represent you, I don't know you well enough myself to represent you. And this is such a common excuse for so many of us in the church. Listen, if you've become a Christian, the Holy Spirit of God lives on the inside of you. You know God well enough to be saved. You know God to start representing him well enough. The Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 9, as soon as he gave his life to Jesus, he immediately began telling other people about him. This was my excuse when my pastor talked to me about going into ministry. I said, man, I'm a young Christian. I don't know enough Bible. I don't, I'm not close enough to God. I've got issues in my life. I don't, I've never read on how to preach or how to do ministry. I don't know any of that stuff. 
But God immediately replies. Remember what he says here. He gave this eternal identification. Tell them the eternal one. I am who I am. The I am, the great eternal one. Tell them the eternal one, the God over all things has sent you. He's the God of your ancestors. He's the God of your future. Don't worry about who you are. Just tell them who I am. Listen, church. I mean, we all struggle with the excuses, right? I'm not worthy, and I don't know God good enough. But you're not the one that's the center of this whole thing. You're not the one that's the center of leading the small group. You're not the one that's the center of leading your neighbor to Jesus or giving more money to the, to the poor and the convoy of hope and some of our missions partners. You're not the center of that. God is the center of this thing. And he wants you to remember the God of eternity is the one who is using you in this way. Can I hear an amen from somebody online today or on screen today? Come on. The third thing, Moses continues on. He gives this excuse. He says, nobody's going to believe me. Nobody will believe me. And this is so normal for us as well. I, I feel this way at times as a pastor. I mean, there's times where I bring a sermon or I bring a message and I'm thinking, man, I hope this lands well. I hope people understand my heart. I hope they hear what I'm trying to communicate. Listen to chapter, go to chapter four, starting in verse one. So Moses answers to the Lord. He goes, okay, fine. Behold, listen, they will not believe me and they're not going to listen to my voice. And he's probably right in the natural because he's thinking, I haven't lived here for decades. They're, they're not going to listen to me. I don't even know who you are well enough. And they're certainly not going to believe me or listen to me. They'll say, God didn't appear to you. Look at this. For they will say, the Lord did not appear to you. Now, immediately he's starting to work through their objections. The Lord didn't appear to you. So the Lord says to him, okay, fine. <laughs> I just, I love how God condescends to us. He just talks to Moses in his normal, like in his need. He goes, okay, Moses, what is that in your hand? Moses looks in his hand. He's holding a shepherd's staff. He says, a staff. And the Lord said, throw it on the ground. So he throws it on the ground and it became a serpent. So Moses runs away from it. Pretty smart guy, if you ask me. Um, Moses runs away from it. But the Lord said to Moses, okay, now put out your hand, catch this serpent by the tail and so he put out his hand and he caught it. And as soon as he did, it becomes a staff in his hand again. I don't know about you, but if that was me, I'd be doing that like three or four times. I'd be like, throw it down again, boom, snake, sucker, and then pick it back up. I would just have fun, like just trying it a few times, you know what I'm saying? And here's what God says. Remember, Moses is saying, nobody will believe me. They're not going to listen to my voice. So God gives him this miracle. He goes, okay, fine, try this. Throw your stick down. It's going to become a snake. And then at the very end, he says, grab it. It'll become a staff in your hand. Why? so that they may believe. It's not even for Moses to believe. It's so that the Israelites can believe that the Lord has appeared to you. God gives him a miracle. He gives him a sign. He, listen, this is one of our biggest problems. We've allowed people to disbelieve before we've ever given them anything to believe or disbelieve about. Moses is giving them the excuse to disbelieve before he ever goes to tell them what God said. Moses assumed people wouldn't believe him, take him seriously, or that he wouldn't be able to prove or answer his own claims. And that's what happens with us. You assume your neighbor won't listen to you. You assume your coworker won't come to church with you. You assume there's no room for you on the dream team. You assume there's nobody going to come to your small group if you start one. Stop disbelieving for other people and start trusting that God will give you the right, the signs and the miracles to do something for him. Listen, you don't ever have to defend God. He will always be able to defend himself and he can always take care of himself and prove himself. God says, you tell him about me, I'll prove myself. You don't have to prove who I am. I'll take care of that. 
Man, I love it. I feel like so many of us are paralyzed with fear of telling others about Jesus or standing up for God in the public square or or following God's plan or calling into something new. And many of us have already assigned disbelief to the people who we've never even told yet. Let me tell you something. If God is in it, he'll prove himself. If God's asked you to lead a small group, he's going to prove himself. If God's asked you to serve on a dream team, if God's asked you to show up early to become a dream team member, if God's asked you to give bigger dollars than you've ever given before, he will prove himself. You don't have to prove him. He will do it himself. Can I hear an amen, everybody? Then he pushes a little harder. He gives a fourth excuse. He says, I'm not qualified and I'm not good enough. And I've heard this. I've been in ministry 20 plus years now, and I've heard this so many times. You ask someone to join a dream team. You invite somebody to grow in leadership. You ask somebody to co-host a small group with you. Or you, you, you ask somebody like, hey, have you, have you shared the gospel with your co- coworkers yet or your boss or your family members? And they say, man, I'm not good enough to do that. I don't know. I'm, I'm not qualified. I've got sin in my life. Watch what Moses does in verse 10, chapter 4, verse 10. So the more, then Moses says to the Lord, this is fourth excuse, by the way. He goes, Lord, oh, my Lord. Now he's like, you know, close to God, right? Oh, my Lord, I'm not eloquent. In other words, I'm not a good speaker, either in the past or since you've spoken to your servant, but I'm slow of speech and of tongue. Now he's like making up, <laughs> he's got a speech problem, right? He goes, I talk slow, my tongue stutters, whatever. And so now this is getting a little petty. It's like, come on, Moses, man. Really, you got nothing else to do. God lets you turn a stick into a snake. You've seen a bush on fire, not engulfed. How many more miracles do you need? Now Moses is making it by himself. He's like, I'm not a good speaker. I talk slow. I got to stutter. And the Lord says to him, who made your mouth? I just love that. And listen, many of you may have disqualified yourself. You said, I don't have enough money to give to water filters. God says, who, who, who provides you finances? Or, or maybe you said, I don't, I don't know how to share the gospel with my neighbor. God says, who's giving you a mouth and a brain? Do you not think that I can help you, right? Look what he says to Moses. Who made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Isn't it I, the Lord? And God says, now go, speak, and I will be with your mouth. I love that even at the level of Moses' greatest fear, I'm not a good speaker. And everybody, like, they say this is one of the greatest fears in the world is public speaking. God even says, I'll be with your tongue and your mouth and your teeth. I'll help you put the words together. I will be with your mouth, and I will even teach you what you shall speak. Listen, Moses went from I'm nobody to God's nobody. They don't believe you. I don't know who you are, and they're not going to believe me. I don't have enough skills, and now he says, I'm, dis- I'm not qualified, and I've got physical problems. I want you to listen to me really clearly. I want you to write this statement down. God's not interested in your qualifications. God is interested in your availability. I mean, listen, if there was anyone unqualified to do their job, it's me. <laughs> I mean, I feel like it all the time. I cannot believe that I get to pastor this church. I can't believe that this is the, the job that the Lord has given to me. Our whole team feels this way. We're like, we're so blown away that God lets us do the things that we get to do here. We understand God's not interested in your resume, your pedigree, your degrees, or your qualifications. God wants to know if you are available. I've known some very educated, very wealthy, very talented, very skilled people who refuse to make themselves available. Man, I'm telling you something, that is a terrible way to live. And that's the way a lot of us live when it comes to the body of Christ. We've got 20 years of serving God but never doing anything for God. I've got 20 years of prayer and devotion life. I've been saved 10 years. I've been going to church for seven years. I've been listening to the word. I've been whatever, making all this money. And God can't, have, like God can't do anything with us because we refuse to make ourselves available. God's not interested in your qualifications. 
God's interested in your availability. And listen, if God has called you to do something, he's going to equip you. If you're going to have a fresh start with serving God this year, if you're going to have a fresh start, whether it's serving your church, which every Christian should do. If it's going to be a fresh start with giving to your church generously, every Christian should do this. You may stutter, but God's bigger than your stutter. You may not know enough, but God knows everything. (laughs) You may not think you're qualified, but God's not motivated by your resume. He's motivated by his heart for people who are afflicted and held in captivity. And he's the center of this miracle, not you. And then Moses gives his fifth and final response, and we're almost done. He says, can you just use somebody else? Now, remember where he started. He says, you know, I'm not qualified. I'm not worthy. I don't know you well enough. No one will believe me. I'm not qualified. I have a stutter. And then he just gets honest, and he goes, oh, my Lord, please just send somebody else. And look at the response of the Lord. Every other excuse when Moses is like, I don't know you well enough, I'm not qualified, God says, but I'll be with you, I'll help you, I'll, I'll be the one to be a part of this. But then when Moses stops making excuses and then just dismisses God, he goes, let somebody else do it. Look at what it says. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. Can I just be real honest with you right now? Don't turn, the, don't turn it off and don't pause it or don't. Turn off the stream here when I say this to you. If you're a part of this church and you refuse to serve this church and you keep saying, let somebody else come and serve. If you refuse to give to your church, you keep going, let somebody else give. I, you know, they don't need my giving. They don't need my serving. They don't need my talents. Listen, I get, you may say, I'm not qualified. I'm not good enough. I don't know what I'm doing. But if you keep saying, man, let somebody else do it. You may very well be at risk of the anger of the Lord kindled against you. Listen, I I don't want any of that to be true for us, but I'm telling you, it is the wrong attitude for Christians to say, let somebody else. Just this last month, we had a catastrophic disaster in middle Tennessee and middle Kentucky with tornadoes going through. And we gave, and some of you served. But many of us said, let others give, let others serve. I just want to challenge you. Like, I ain't mad at you. I'm just, I'm just pushing you a little bit because I'm your pastor and I love you. If you're not willing to show up and serve and get on a dream team and, and, and invite your neighbors to church and invite your neighbors to know God and lead a small group and, and witness to your coworkers, if, if you're saying, let somebody else do it, when God's put you there to do it, I just, I don't want, I don't want the Lord to be disappointed or frustrated or angry with you. Moses gets honest with God, and instead of making excuses, he just says, can, instead of making excuses, he asks to be excused. And in every other excuse, God says he'll help him, but in this one, God gets angry. And I thought about, why does that anger the Lord? Like, why would God get mad about that? Why did God tolerate excuses, but he gets mad when Moses basically says, go find somebody else? And I believe it's because to say no to God's plan is to insult the very intelligence of God who knows exactly what he's doing when he asks you to do something for him. He's not needing people who are perfect. He's looking for people who are willing. God wants to use us who are willing and available. And if we say we belong to his kingdom, then we should serve at his request and his command as our king. It's an affront to God's lordship in our lives when we refuse to do the things God asks us to do. I've struggled with this. I know I have. And I know I'm talking to a lot of people, and you're probably thinking like, man, this sermon went a different direction. But I want us to have a fresh start with God this year. I want us to have a fresh start with the church this year. I want us to have a fresh start with obedience to God. Listen, you don't, 
have to do this. You get to do this. But if you refuse to do what God's asking you to do, you put yourself in a precarious position. And I'm just telling you, man, we, of all the life that you've lived for God, let's put a period on that part of your life and let's let God write a new chapter in this next season, this fresh start season, 2022. We're going to give like never before. We're going to pray like never before. We're going to serve like never before. We're going to witness to people like never before. We're going to evangelize and ask people to come to God like never before. The original sin of the Garden of Eden, the ultimate way that we created dissonance was God, with God was when the Lord said, I want you to do all of this and make sure you don't do that. And we said, I'm going to do what I want and not do what God said. It's a recurring problem for us, but we want a fresh start with God. So I close with this final question, and I'll be done very soon. So what's in your heart? As we start this new year and we have a fresh start with God, I want you to evaluate your life with the church. Are you giving excuses or are you giving surrender? Are you coming? Are you showing up? Are you serving? Are you giving to God's house like he asks? Are you letting other people do it? Are you saying, ah, man, I don't have enough. I'm not qualified enough. I don't, I don't understand it enough. I don't know God well enough. Or are you just willing to just surrender to God and say, Lord, whatever you want, I'll do. However you want to use my life, you can use it. Maybe God wants you to witness to a professor at Austin P, or God wants you to invite your coworker to a small group. Maybe the Lord's asking you to leave your job and go into vocational ministry, become a missionary, go to seminary, go to law school, become a doctor, do something new. Maybe God is asking you to uh, say no to some sin in your life. <laughs> There's not a maybe on that. God is always asking you to say no. Maybe break up with the girlfriend you're living with or say no to the drug addictions that you've carried for so long. Maybe God is wanting to do something new in you, in you this year. The question I have for you, what's in your heart? Do you have a heart like God for the people that God's trying to reach? Do you have a heart for the things that God cares about? Your sobriety, your deliverance, your honesty and obedience to God? Or do you have a heart like Moses, a heart full of excuses? I'm not worthy. I don't know you well enough. I have a stutter. Or will you let somebody else do it? What's in your heart? The reality is I want to be like I want to be like Moses, but I want to be Moses the deliverer, Moses the miracle maker, the miracle performer, the split the sea Moses. But the truth is I tend to be like Moses the loner and the excuse maker, the don't bother me and I won't bother you kind of Moses. I'll just tend to my life, I'll do my sheep, and I'll go home and be with my family. I want to be Moses the mighty, but I tend to be Moses the blame shifter and the isolator and the responsibility shifter. I don't know where you're at with a sermon like this. But as I close, I'm asking you to consider, can God ask you of anything this year? Can God start by just asking you for simple obedience? Pray, spend time in your word, go to church, be in a small group. Like these are basics of Christianity. I love the, the writer of Hebrews says, let's not lay again the foundation elementary principles of Christianity. But for some of us, that's where we just need to start. Can we just be obedient in the basics? Obedience to pray, devotion to God, worship church attendance, belonging to fellowship, tithing. Can we just be obedient there? But, but for some of you too, God's asking you to take the next step, to lead people to Jesus, to make disciples, to invest your life into others, to give like you've never given before, to lead small groups, to serve in ministry. Would you be all in with whatever God asked you this year? Can we have a fresh start with obedience to God? 
Or would you find reasons to excuse yourselves? I'm not a ministry major. I'm not good with people. What's in your heart? Is it a heart of full surrender to God? I'm all in. Or is it a heart of excuses like Moses? I'm not enough. I'm not close enough to you. Let somebody else do it. Man, listen. My prayer for you this year is that we as a church will get to the place where we say, Lord, you can have all of me, use all of me, spend me at your pleasure. I am all in with whatever you want from me. And I think, listen, you may have struggled or wrestled with these things before, but we're going to put a period on that part of your life. And we're going to start a new chapter with God in 2022, a fresh start of obedience. Listen to this last thought and then we'll close. God is more concerned with your availability than he is with your ability. In other words, God just wants you to be available, open and willing to do whatever he's asked you. It may come at a pay cut. It may lose some notoriety. It may change your living status, where you live, what part of the world you live in. Who cares? God's not as concerned with your ability as he is your availability. Are you willing to do whatever God has asked you? So I want to invite you wherever you're watching. Would you please just bow your head, close your eyes with me. If you're at a location where you can, just stand and open your hands to God. I want to ask you as a, as a sign of surrender to Lord, to the Lord, would you just open your hands, almost like, like high up above your shoulders, in fact, as a, as a posture of surrender, even this way with hands out, like you're yielding your life, you're giving up yourself to the Lord. And I want you to lay your whole life on the line before God. God, I'll do anything, I'll go anywhere, I'll give anything you ask. I'll, I'll be all in, I'm tired of giving excuses. I wanna give my heart surrendered, submitted to God. Lord, I thank you in Jesus' name for this word. Thank you for the reminder that, God, we can go all in with Jesus. We can go all in with our life with God. And, Lord, we can go all in with Christianity and a life of, of just belief. But, God, we also need to go all in with a life of submission to the lordship of Jesus Christ. We submit to authority. We submit to God's authority. And, Lord, as a sign of submission to you today, we put our hands up to you and we say, God, I'm all yours. Whatever you want to do with me this year, okay, I'm in. I relent. I, I concede I submit to your authority. God, I'll give like you want me to give this year. I'll pray like you want me to pray this year. I'll serve how and who you want me to serve this year. Lord, put it in our hearts to invite people who are far from God to know Jesus, to come to church. And Lord, I pray that every one of us would submit to the plan of God and the will of God as we serve our church, as we read your word, as we submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord God, that we get to come back to you. Lord, you don't grow tired of inviting us back to you. And we thank you, Lord God, today we're making a full, full, full surrender to the Lordship of Christ. Everybody pray this with me and we'll close. Say, God, I'm all in. I believe in Jesus, that he died for my sin and offers forgiveness for me so that I can live my life completely for him. Say, I'm all in. I'm all yours to the glory of God in Jesus' name. Amen, everybody. Amen. I love you, LifePoint Church. Thank God for you all the time. Have a great day.